welcome to the Silence Media Book Club. For this, our first online meeting, we are thrilled to be joined by the American author Bob Hoff. We're going to talk to Bob about his new book, Advertising for Skeptics, which he describes as a universal musing on the nature of contemporary advertising. Described as an acid tongue genius, Bob is a keynote speaker at our conferences, has written several books about advertising, and he is, of course, the keeper of the Ad Contrarian blog, which is devoured by our industry's internal critics. Bob is to advertising as the fox is to the henhouse. In Advertising for Skeptics, he writes that people in our industry are misinformed to a degree that is startling, that we respect no history, we observe no principles, we have no connected tissue, that every generation tosses out what was learned before and declares it dead. Bob, welcome to Book Club. Thank you very much. Nice to be here, Lee. And welcome too to our readers, a wondrous cast from across the industry who have joined us today to ask Bob their questions about advertising for skeptics. Bob, you write in your new book that nothing about advertising is either very clear or very easy. Why do you think that is? Uh, because nothing about human beings is very clear or very easy. And advertising is, a, um, is an endeavor that tries to understand and motivate human beings, and it's very hard to do. It's, uh, it's a difficult thing to base your career on. And as you go on, you learn more and more that things that you think you knew, you don't really know. And uh, so that's why uh, that's the answer. Would you say it's um, would you say it's part art, part art, part science? Yeah, it, it's um, we're trying to make it more scientific, but I'm not really sure we have. We have we're we're using a lot of mathematics. We're using a lot of technology. I'm not sure we're using it very well. As a matter of fact, I am sure we're not using it very well. Um, but we're trying to make it more scientific. It's, uh, it's not easy to do. It's, um, you know, we're kind of like drunken sailors who've been out, out at sea for two years and then we come into port and we get drunk and get venereal disease. And uh, that's, uh, that's how we are with technology. We, for years, for decades, the advertising industry has been criticized for not being scientific, for being too much about feel and about opinions. Now all of a sudden we have technology and we've jumped into it so fast and, and with such little, what, what I think is discretion, that uh, we're getting drunk and coming down with venereal disease on technology. And uh, we need to be a little more careful about how we approach technology, I think. Okay. Let's have our first question from my colleague, Molly White at Silence Media. Hi, Bob. Um, I have a bit of a two-part question for you, so I hope you don't mind. Um, but in uh, Advertising Skeptics, you report that only 5% of people within the advertising industry are over the age of 50. So I guess my first question is, you know, what happens to them when they reach 50? Where do they go? Uh, and then also, um, what do you think the industry misses by no longer employing them? Can I answer the second part first? Sure. Good. Um, one of the, one of the um, 
One of the big problems in the advertising industry is that we are, we are ruled by legends and rituals that have gone on for years. And one of them, one of the, one of the legends is that advertising has to be directed at young people. And that's one of the rituals also. Uh, we, we worship the 18 to 34 year old um, age group. But the fact is here in the States at least, the majority of consumer spending is done by people over 50. And only about five to 10% of advertising is aimed at people over 50. And uh, this makes absolutely no sense in my mind. And it costs marketers, I think billions of dollars a year for ignoring uh, mature audiences who spend most of the money and buy most of the stuff. So that's what we miss. The first part of your question, where do people over 50 go after they're through with their advertising career? And I think the answer is they evaporate. I don't know where they go. I don't know, I don't know what happens to them. So many of them, so many very highly qualified, talented people are uh, thrown away. And um, the thing that's so bad about this for our industry is that in a lot of in a lot of fields you really don't reach your maximum capacity and potential until you're over 40 and over 50 if you look at literature and if you look at art the great literary people and the great artists all did some of most of their best work when they were over 40 and over 50 it's not like in science and math where a lot of the great work is done uh, by younger people in, 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 in writing and in art, which are the, which are the methods that we use to communicate, uh, people who are older are often reaching their peak just when we're getting rid of them. And uh, I think the, uh, this does a lot of harm to our industry and to our clients. Okay, so our next question, Bob is from Genevieve Barrett from Simon & Schuster. Jen, you've got a question for Bob about social media. Yeah, so um, I wondered, we talk about um, social media platforms really relying on the dopamine hit that users get when someone engages or likes with their content, likes their content. And I just wondered, you talk about brands' short-term tactics, um, and I wondered if you thought that was brands' that was their, the industry's version of that really. And, and I, we're getting obsessed with short-term tactics like uh, driving clicks. And is that sort of the industry version of that dopamine hit in social media? Well, first let me um, ask you this, Jen, why aren't you publishing my books? That's, <laughs> that's, that's the most important one. Okay. Next. The next one, the next one. <laughs> um, yes and no. I think it, it's yes. We love the we love the hit that we get when when we see that our, we're getting clicks and we're getting you know that 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 makes us feel good as marketers, and that's part of it. That's you know the the, the emotional part of it, but also there is. Um, there's a terrible uh, 
kind of prejudice toward the short term versus the long term that that is ruled by uh, the financial people and 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 the big shots at corporations who don't understand and can't understand brand building because brand building is not something that you can quantify easily. And these people are quantifiers and they wanna see every day that what they're spending on marketing is actually paying off that day or that week. And it's very hard to explain. I've, I've had to do it so many times in my career, stand up in front of people who are financial people basically, and explain to them that you can't use the logic of cause and effect in brand building. It doesn't work that way. It works in a, in a mysterious way in which um, it, the weekly measurement of results doesn't really tell you what's happening long term. And, and it, uh, as an advertising practitioner, it was one of the most frustrating things I ever did to tell them that just because you're selling stuff this week doesn't mean you're building your brand over the long term. It's very hard for a lot of uh, business people to understand that. Sam Scott from Dentsu has a question for you, Bob. This one is about the advice we should give to young people coming into our industry. Thanks, Lee. Hi, Bob. Uh, so thinking about those fresh-faced grads that come into the industry or idealistic about uh, advertising and connecting with people, if they read your book, your book they might get uh, the impression that we don't know what we think we know. <laughs> um, how, what words of advice would you have for someone coming into the industry to avoid the clowns and charlatans that you talk about in your book? Uh, my advice would be to... Let, let me back up on this a little. I had, to some degree, I think I had an advantage coming into the advertising business because I knew nothing. I knew nothing about advertising. I never took an advertising course. I never took a marketing course. I just walked in and got a job one day and I knew nothing and I had to learn from scratch. And I had to use my own judgment on determining what, when people told me things, I, I, I had to say, is this true? How do they know this? And is this really true or is this just a legend? Or is this just, are they just telling me to do things the way they've always done them? And uh, now I'm not advocating ignorance. I think education is a good thing and people should be educated. But, but my own personal experience was skepticism is a really important attribute to have in any endeavor but particularly in advertising, where we really, I think, don't know what we think we know. And so young people, be skeptical. When someone tells you it has to be done this way, ask why. Um, educate yourself, don't accept what everyone tells you as truth just because they happen to be older than you or have a bigger title than you or make more money than you you're probably at least as smart and maybe smarter than they are. And, and you, you should develop your own uh, theses about how things work 
and you should develop your own point of view on what's important and what's not important in advertising. That, that, that would be my advice. Don't take everything you read too seriously. Think for yourself, and most importantly, think creatively. To think about doing things in different ways. Thanks, Bob. That's a lovely answer, and thanks for your question, Sam. Bob, Kevin Joyner from Crowd has a question for you about what he calls a dichotomy in media buying. Hi, Bob. Um, in the book, you lay quite a lot of blame on programmatic buying technology. And you analyze this and you, uh, you talk about two types of website, quality publishers and trash websites. And on the trash sites, the inventory is cheaper and the programmatic platforms and the way we buy favors that. And that's one of the ways that we hurt ourselves in the industry. Uh, because that's where the ad fraud is and that's where the problematic content is. But I just, I wondered if you would accept that really, actually there is a huge middle ground in terms of the type of website. There's lots of perfectly good niche websites that have a, you know, their special interest content. The kind of ones that I read are, you know, tech, tech websites, computing websites, but there's all, all, all kinds. And, uh, we need programmatic technology to to place uh, ads on that 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 huge volume and you know that wide range of websites. So yes, we we should rein in tracking, but do you think we should have some other solution than ideally than direct media buying? Yes, and I think you need to develop it, Kevin, because I don't have the intelligence to do it. But the, yeah, the problem is not technology. The problem is how we're using technology. And if we can find a way to use programmatic technology to buy sensibly, I'm all in favor of that. I have no problem. That, that, that'd be great. That, that's what it was supposed to be, right? That, that, that's what programmatic was supposed to do. And the problem is it's not doing it. The problem is so much of it. You, you saw the uh, report from ISBA. Is that what you call it? ISBA? Uh, a couple of weeks ago, that 50% of, of programmatic ad dollars evaporate before they get to the, to the publisher. Now, imagine yourself, uh, you, let's say you weren't investing your money in advertising, let's say you were investing it in stocks, and you went to your broker, and you brought him 5,000 pounds, and he took 2,500 of those pounds, and he invested 2,500 in stocks. You'd be outraged, you'd, you'd go crazy, but that's what's happening. Half of the money that, that we're investing in programmatic advertising is evaporating before it gets to the publisher, before it can do us any good. Now, I, I, you know, I accept that the programmatic technology adds some value to, you know, to the buy, but not 50%, there's something wrong there. There's something very, very wrong there. So yes, you're right. If we, it, the technology per se is not the problem. It's the way we have implemented the technology, the way we are using the technology. And like I said, we're drunken sailors about technology. Anything that says technology, we throw money at uh, without really thinking about how it's being used and, and how it's being abused. Thanks, Bob. 
Sanjeev Patan, Sanj from Opticom, um, has a question for you about marketing in the time of COVID. Mm. <laughs> yes, that is a big question, I guess. But yeah, Bob, um, I guess given the, your years of experience, um, what advice would you give planners and strategists um, in this post-COVID-19 um, time when they have to plan and try and balance their budgets and marketing split and you know I think there's quite a few theories out there so I guess what really resonates with you that you would probably advise and yeah anyone I, don't know. I don't know I, I, I've thought about it a lot and I really don't know what the correct strategy is right now um, there are some companies that are fighting for their life you, you know, Let's back up for a second. We know that in tough economic times, those who invest in marketing come out the other end in better shape than those who don't, right? We, we have case histories on that and we have uh, some evidence of that. But the problem is there are, there are companies now that are fighting for their lives and they can't afford to invest in advertising. Even if, even if they know that at the other end, they're going to come out in better shape. They have to live this week. They can't afford to to, to make that investment. So that that's the num that's number one difficult question. What do you do if you're in that position? Number two is, do you acknowledge the COVID? Um, what's the word? Experience in your advertising or have we heard enough about that already? And we don't really need to be reminded of it in every spot we see. In other words, is the, is the, um, is the desire to be empathetic, has it been overdone? And are, are, are people tired of hearing about it? My guess is yes. My guess is if I were an advertiser, I would go back to my regular my regularly scheduled advertising, my product and brand focused advertising, and, and leave the COVID story behind. I think it's, it's, uh, it's not that it's not important to society. It's not that we can ignore it. It's just that I think people have heard enough of it from marketers and advertisers, and it's time for us to move on. You know what? It's a judgment call. Who knows what the right answer is? I don't know at this point. Bob, Liz Famoso from Universal McCann, um, she has a question for you about ad fraud. You deliver some really punchy stats in your book about the scale of ad fraud and viewability rates being ridiculously low as well. Um, your conclusion is that the only way that we can rise above the giants such as Google and Facebook and demand a change across the industry is to end tracking. So my question to you is, do you really think that that's realistic? And beyond the application of ad verification technology, what small measures can uh, online media planner buyers such as myself, what can we do to make a difference? Is it realistic to end, let's do one question at a time. Is it realistic to end tracking? I think it is. I, I think there has been a lot of progress made uh, in, in consumers understanding the dangers of tracking. And I think that it is, it is 
first steps have been made, you know, the GDPR, it, it's been, I think so far, a failure, but it was a first step and I think it's moving in the right direction. And I think uh, pressure from consumers will keep it moving in the right direction. So is it realistic to expect tracking to end? Uh, I would say it has a reasonable chance of happening. It's, it's certainly not for sure, but I think it has a re that, that, uh, that there's a reasonable chance that a lot of the most grotesque kinds of tracking will end someday, not today, not next week, but someday. Um, it, it's much too dangerous in democratic societies to have marketers know everything about us, what we're doing, where we're going, who we're speaking to, what we're saying. Too dangerous. The question of what, what um, media planners and buyers can do to minimize fraud, the most important thing is to get educated by the people who, who don't, who aren't within the, the ecosystem, if you will. You know, so many people have so much invest, ad fraud doesn't just pay off the fraudsters. Ad fraud contributes a lot of money to a lot of people along, along, the, you know, along the ecosystem. And there are a lot of people who are heavily invested in, in getting not too serious about ad fraud. Remember, a lot of agencies make money based on volume. You know, they're, they're getting a commission and, and fraudulent clicks and fraudulent websites and fraudulent audiences create revenue for, for, for agencies too. It's not just the fraudsters. Now, I'm not saying that the agencies are complicit with the fraudsters, but as a, as a, um, a byproduct of fraud, there are a lot of companies all along the line who aren't fraudsters, but are profiting from fraud. So um, the most important thing, you know, listen to people who, who are giving you an alternative point of view. Uh, Augustin Fu is one of them. Um, MMI is another company that does that here in the States. These people are, they're not invested, they're not making money from, from this. And uh, there, there's a guy, Professor Cavazos, I think his name is. I've written about him. Um, he's an economist, and, and he's written about fraud. So, so you, you have to dig a little deeper than the, than the usual suspects to find out who's, who's giving a, a, a completely different view about fraud that you can learn from. I am not a fraud researcher. I can't help you with it. I just report what people who I trust tell me and write about. Um, but, but, at, but as someone who's responsible uh, for this, I, I think it's important that you hear alternative voices from the voices you hear within the industry. All right, thank you, Bob. So you're gonna do a short reading now. Oh, good. From advertising for skeptics for us what have you uh, what have you chosen to read Bob which part of the book the piece called our principal problem okay shall I begin please do our principal problem in most fields of endeavor progress is achieved by the accretion of knowledge over time in medicine for example we learned of the germ theory of disease 
Then we learned that germs were spread by dirty things like flies, mosquitoes, and sex. But it all started with the basic knowledge that diseases weren't caused by frogs or witches, but by germs. In aeronautics, the materials we use to make airplanes are completely different from the ones we used 100 years ago, but we still use the same fundamental design of a fuselage and a pair of wings. The principles of air travel are over 100 years old, sadly so is the food, but the principles are still being built on. Copernicus taught us that the universe did not revolve around the Earth, but that the Earth revolved around the Sun. Then we discovered that there were other bodies revolving around the Sun. Then Newton figured out the mechanism for all of this, gravity. One discovery leads to another. Advertising is different. We respect no history. We observe no principles. We have no connective tissue. Every generation tosses out what was learned before and declares it dead. Marketing is dead. The big idea is dead. Positioning is dead. Brands are dead. The funnel is dead. Traditional media are dead. Every generation invents its own dreadful jargon that for a brief time passes for wisdom. Lykonomics, engagement, conversations, storytelling, empowerment. The absence of verifiable principles is the dirty little secret behind why we engender so little respect in the business community. Well, that and Gary Vaynerchuk. In most disciplines, there are unifying principles. Some examples, physics has the law of conservation of energy. Biology has natural selection. Economics has supply and demand. These are fundamental to the nature of the endeavor. In advertising, what are the proven unifying fundamental principles that we all accept? If there are any, I don't know what they are. A field of endeavor without principles is not a discipline, it's a free-for-all. We used to believe that creativity was the essence of successful advertising, not so much anymore. We used to believe that big ideas were the backbone of outstanding advertising, not so much anymore. We used to believe that an agency's primary job was the delivery of outstanding ads to its clients, not today. What do we believe in now? Like economics, engagement, conversations, storytelling, and empowerment, these aren't principles. These are the dreadful cliches of a tired industry. That's fantastic. Thank you, Bob. Thank you. Okay, Bob, your penultimate question is coming up. Um, it's from Nick Moxon from the Universal Music Group. And Nick, and Nick wants to ask you a question about contradictions. Hi, Bob. Um, so, yeah, in your book, you talk about Sharp and Ritson's theories and how they're examples of, um, uh, of ways that make advertising endlessly fascinating. What is your most fascinating contradiction in, in the advertising industry and why? My most fascinating contradiction in the advertising industry as we practice advertising, you mean? Yeah. Hmm. That's a really tough question. There are so many contradictions. Um, I guess the most fascinating one is the contradiction between whether we think people behave rationally or emotionally, okay? And um, I think you can make a very good case for both sides. You can make a very good case that people don't buy, that people are rational. They don't buy crap that they don't, 
need. They don't waste their money on stupid stuff. And you can do example after example of that. And then you can make an e equally good case that people behave crazily, that they'll, that they'll save money on buying uh, you know, a tube of toothpaste and then spend extravagantly on a car that is no different basically from another car that costs $20,000 less, but has prestige attached to it. So, so the, the, the contradiction between the emotional behavior of consumers and the rational behavior of consumers is hard to reconcile. And, that, and that's, I think I wrote in the book, uh, what I call quantum advertising. And that is sometimes we behave X, sometimes we behave Y. And just like in, 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 in quantum uh, physics, a particle can sometimes be a wave, be defined as a wave and sometimes as a particle. Um, it, human beings sometimes behave rationally and sometimes behave emotionally. And it's a contradiction in behavior, but that's the reality. Sometimes we, sometimes consumers are rational, sometimes they are emotional, and it's hard to know when. And it's hard to know how they're gonna behave. And sometimes the same person purchasing in the same category will behave emotionally, and sometimes will behave rationally. And that, I guess, is, um, as far as I'm concerned, the biggest contradiction and the hardest one to understand, and the one that I think the marketing industry understands least. Nick, you're in the Amazing. business of uh, marketing music. Do you think when people are um, thinking about music, they're behaving more emotionally or rationally? Um, yeah, I think they're behaving emotionally. I mean, <clears throat> music is an emotional product, isn't it? It, it? it triggers emotions and it is used by people to kind of... Um, uh you know speak to their emotions and that is one thing that i am constantly trying to push within within the music industry is that uh we need to kind of be aware that people are uh, you know act, you know acting on emotional impulses as opposed to just rational behavior and i think you know the the, the default position for many marketeers is that you know people will will act rationally and you'll go click here to listen to this artist because we know you like it is not necessarily something that people would decide to do and actually getting them to engage in something that's got the sound on and is a beautiful kind of creative is is from what i can see as well is a much more effective way of getting people into music and, and, and driving that discovery um and that's a huge contradiction i see in, in the music industry in the sense of we're supposed to be creatives but we spend all our time looking at, uh, at click-through metrics thanks nick well bob this has been emotional for me <laughs> Beth and Corlett from the Seven Stars wants to talk about a revolution. Beth, revolution, cool. Um, so I really um, enjoyed the chapter in the book where you talk about the danger in the industry, and it kind of um, it felt like you were invoking a revolution. Um, and I guess my question is. Obviously, we've, you kind of already touched on Google, the Google monopoly, and it feels like Google has such a stronghold on advertising. You know, the that ad servers that the agencies use, the Google Analytics that are on our clients' sites. Um, they kind of have this; they have that monopoly across the whole of the industry, and it's very hard to not touch 
the Google you know, universe at some point along the, the thread. So my question was, um, obviously Google are getting rid of cookies in Chrome next year. And do you think that that in a way has, they've kind of shot themselves in the foot because it's kind of taking away the biggest source of tracking um, or it's at least it's the biggest removal of tracking that's kind of shaking up the industry um, so far. Do you think they've kind of shot themselves in the foot and that they're going to spark that revolution off the back of that? Or do you think we're all just going to pivot to a, another, another method of, you know, tracking and measurement? They don't have a history of shooting themselves in the foot. So <laughs> I, would be, I would be surprised if there isn't a plan B back there somewhere to retain all the business that we think they may be losing. Uh, I am, uh, like I said before, I'm officially skeptical uh, and I'm always officially skeptical until I see results. So I think uh, Google knows what they're doing. I don't know what it, what it is, but um, a revolution, I doubt it. I think, you know, uh, um, they're, they're pretty smart. They know what they're doing and I don't think they're, uh, I don't think this is going to uh, do much harm to them, but we'll see. Maybe it will. Maybe it, maybe it's a bigger deal than I think it is. We'll see. Bob Hoffman, thank you very much for being our guest on Book Club this month and for talking about advertising for skeptics. And thanks, of course, to our audience of readers who took part today. If you'd like to join us on one of these recordings, please do get in touch via our website. Next month, on Friday the 10th of July, we'll be joined by another American author, Heather Lefebvre, who will be discussing her book, Brain Surfing. We do hope to see you all then.